I want to talk a little bit about freedom uh, this morning, but I'm, I'm going to start actually in the heavens. We're going to look at Psalm 19. This week I was, uh, I, I watched a documentary called The Farthest Voyager in Space. This is on Netflix, and I want to highly recommend this if you're into this kind of thing. I never studied astronomy. I, I don't know what I'm looking at when I look up at the star. I can find the Big Dipper, and I can find the moon. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to brag or anything. I don't know what I'm looking at, but I am fascinated by it. Um, and so when, I, when there's a good book that has to do with it, or when there's a, a, a documentary on it, I am, I'm in. It's fascinating to me. And... Uh, this was the story of the Voyager space probes. Um, and I, now, these were launched in 1977. They built them in the, in the 70s, and they said, w w wouldn't it be cool to be able to, instead of you know, just inspect the planets from the telescopes on Earth, what if we could just send a spaceship to the planets? And they were like, cool, let's do that. So they took years building these things, and uh, they, they built two of them. And they sent them, uh, they were trying to, to reach the, the, the giants, right? Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. Uh, no Pluto. Pluto always gets the short end of the stick, doesn't it? But anyway, they sent them here. Now, I had no idea how any of this worked. I have heard of these before, but I had no idea how this worked. No, here's, here's what, they were, what they were doing. In order to get those to these planets before we're all, you know, as old as Ethan Mills... See what I did there? Um, no, in order to, to speed up the process, they were going to shoot it towards, shoot them both towards Jupiter. Now, the planets move a lot faster than the, than the, the space probe, so they were going to get them caught in Jupiter's gravity and then fling them onto Saturn and do the same thing at Saturn and fling it on. So it's like the slingshot effect with gravity, which is so cool. I know some of you guys are like, yeah, we know. Well, this, was, this was new to me. I, and, and they... they, they keep going all the way to, to Neptune. And as they would go to these planets, they would take these unbelievable pictures and send them back to Earth via radio waves. I mean, this is like so mind-boggling to me. So they launched these in 1977. And uh, they, then they waited. And waited. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there's a lot of space in space. <laughs> So they just wait, and these things go. Now, if you're a scientist who worked on this, you can't wait to see what happens. But, you know, you got to go work on some other project back in the lab for a while. And in, in early 79, the first uh, uh, probe reaches Jupiter, and they get these amazing pictures. And here's what, ha here's what this is like. Th this, to me, was my favorite part of the whole thing, was seeing how excited the scientists were when the pictures started coming. See, I, I, I was never very good in science in school. Um, my crowning scientific achievement was, was doing a bogus um, a, a science project, uh, answering the question on, is yawning contagious? <laughs> it was my proudest, most shameful moment. Because somehow I finagled a 97 on this science project. And I deserved something far, far less. But I digress. I've never been that good in science. So I always sort of had this impression, like scientists, they're all just like, you know, these emotionless, like they're all like, you know, Lieutenant Commander Data from Star Trek or something. But it is, I was so wrong. This is one of these, one of the many, many things I've realized I was wrong about. Scientists are some of the most passionate people on the planet. 
And you can see it as they're, tell, they're retelling what happened when the images started coming. So they wait and wait, right? And then they start getting closer. And then they all gather. And so they start putting up the images that Voyager 1 is sending back. And it's sending back one image like every 45 seconds. So they're putting it up on the screen. And these guys are just absolutely geeking out of their minds. It's just like, oh my goodness, look at this. Oh, this is different than we thought. And they would just wait and wait and wait. Another one! And, and these guys, they, for three days it would be that way. And they said nobody wanted to go home. Nobody wanted to leave. Nobody wanted to go out and go to the bathroom because they were scared they were going to miss something amazing. And you can just see it get closer and closer like this. Like it was unbelievable. So that happens in February. And they're like, oh, exhale. Okay, we had to wait until uh, 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 the, the second pro Voyager 2 gets there. It's four months later, okay? So Voyager 2 starts their approach to Jupiter in June. So this was taken on June 25th. Uh, and it's it, it really incredible. So they all gather again. They're like, oh, this is cool. Oh, this is cool. 45 seconds, another image comes. By the way, how unbelievable is this? It's sending images, radio waves, from it's 80 million miles away. I just find that incredible. And they're doing all of this like this was without our supercomputers, you know? Like it's just there. Anyway, just blew my mind. This second one comes in. Now you see that little that moon in front of it? That moon is called Io. And so they see this moon and they're like, oh cool, because they already got these incredible pictures of Jupiter the first time. So they want to explore this moon because it just looks really cool to them. So they go closer. Now, I want to show you, here's, here's a, uh, a, a, a compilation of images. They, they put these 10 images together and made a GIF, not a GIF. Apparently, Joe Liebersbach is very insistent that it's a GIF, not a GIF. Oh, we have some dissenters here. I know this is a very heated debate in popular culture. But here's what they saw, okay? Okay, they see it turning. Now, might not look very exciting to you, but the scientists saw this and went, oh, oh my gosh! Now, here's what, I'm gonna zoom in on the, the, the top left-hand corner here, all right? Here it is again. What in the world is that? It's not clouds. It's a volcano. It's an erupting volcano. These guys, their mind, their heads just exploded. They were like, ah, unbelievable. Now, it was so exciting on so many levels because part of this is like, this is unbelievable timing. We literally are watching a volcano erupt on a moon 80 million miles away in, in, in like real time. Incredible. Also, they thought that Earth was the only place where volcanic activity existed. Here they're finding out their theory was so wrong. And they're loving it. You know, I think God was up there. I really do. I think God was up there watching, going, wait for it, wait for it. It's coming closer. Hold on, ready, ready, ready. One, two, three, now! And they're like... <laughs> I do! I do! I'm sorry, maybe that sounds too cartoonish for you. But you know what? Here's the thing. I really like giving my kids presents. I, we, we, we had a surprise we gave to our girls this past Christmas because my girls love theater and they really wanted to see Dear Evan Hansen, which is something I hadn't even heard of this before, but it was in Seattle and so we thought, let's get in these tickets. Well, they're expensive, but you know what, they're going to love it. And, and so we waited and we like waited the very last gift and, and, and Jenna's reaction was worth the whole Christmas. It was like, ah! we were like, because we loved it. We're like, yeah, and you know what? God's not a 
he, he, he's, he's a dad too, you know? He's a dad too. And I think God loves science. I think God loves it when his kids are out there discovering new things. And he's got all of these mysteries that he's loving it when people unfold those things. When they, when they see them for the first time. And imagine how much more is out there. Well, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot. We were made for wonder. Makes me think of the old hymn, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. Awesome wonder. It's right and good to sit back and let wonder rush over us. This is what David did in Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, David did not have the benefit of the Voyager 2 <laughs> space probe, nor of the Hubble telescope, nor of a regular telescope, nor of the solar system model that wasn't even proposed until 700 years later. When he looked up at the stars, now he probably knew a thing or two because the ancients, you know, at night, what are you going to do? You, you, <laughs> you know, there's no light pollution. You can't, you know, no one's watching Netflix at night. It's like, well, there it is. You can either go to sleep or you can look up at the stars. And so they did a lot of looking up at the stars and they knew that there were patterns and things moving around, but they didn't even know what they were looking at. So all he sees is these majestic heavenly bodies moving around in these patterns. And he says... What does he say? The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. I like Eugene Peterson's take on this in the message. You want to hear this? This is kind of fun. God's glory is on tour in the skies. Godcraft on exhibit across the horizon. Madam Day holds classes every morning. Professor Knight lectures each evening. Their words aren't heard, their voices aren't recorded, but their silence fills the earth. Unspoken truth is spoken everywhere. Isn't that good? Yeah, yeah Godcraft. <laughs> An exhibit across the horizon. We can learn a lot about God by looking at his handiwork. And when we look at the stars, here's a few things that I learn. I learn, first of all, that he's really, 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 really big. I also learned that he's really, really beautiful. I learned that he's an artist. I learned that he's a scientist. I learned that he's an engineer. And that he's one who takes great delight in surprising us. David switches from the nighttime heavens to the daytime heavens. Here's what he says next. Their voice, talking about uh, you know, the, 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 what he's just seen, goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of the earth, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. 
Peterson once again. Here's what Peterson says about the middle of this. He says, The morning sun's a new husband leaping from his honeymoon bed. The daybreak sun, an athlete racing to the tape. Once again, wonder overtakes the songwriter. God sets a course for the sun. You see that? It's a course that he sets, and the sun runs that course with joy. And the process, the world gets the blessing of heat. You know, I think we need more poetry in our talk about God nowadays. I sometimes fear that we've gotten so literal in the way we have to do everything. It's like we need poetry and wonder and beauty. So much of the Bible is poetry. And yet we seem to be scared of it sometimes. I'm not sure why. But I think we need more of it. Let's learn to embrace it. Learn to love the metaphors of Scripture. The sun runs across the sky every day. Why? Because God told him where he should run. Do you hear that? This makes me think of G.K. Chesterton's writing. He he talks a a lot about this. Like, you can have the scientific explanation, and I know why the sun rises and sets. I understand that gravity is a thing, and that we're circling, and and, we're spinning. I I get all that. But why? Why? It's because God said so. That's why. That's the way he made it. That's the way he designed it. That's the real why. God set the course for the sun to run across the sky. And it's a wondrous path. It's a good path. And it's for our good. Now, David's about to take what appears to be a hard right in this psalm. So far, it's pretty clear he's extolling the beauty of the heavens, right? He's been talking about creation. And now he's going to talk about something very different. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making simple the wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Forgive the colored font. I hate it when people do this, but I want you to see how he's just subbing out specific words. It's almost fill in the blank here, okay? So let's go back here to the first one. Oh, come on, come on. Okay, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Um, he, he is using these synonyms for stuff the Lord says, okay? Stuff the Lord has told us, guidelines, instructions, things he's told us. And he's using synonyms, and, uh, uh, these nouns. He's picking different nouns. Now, he's also picking different adjectives, as you can see in yellow. He starts with perfect. He's using other things, okay, to show how awesome the things the Lord says are, right? And then what happens, okay? What happens as a result of the goodness that he brings, okay? So once again, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimonies, testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. He is waxing poetic about the law of God. Like really waxing poetic. Like this is, this is like very intricate poetry here. 
And if you want more of this, look at Psalm chapter 119. He goes on for 176 verses. And every verse has a reference to the law of God and how awesome it is. It's, it's an incredible acrostic poem. So here we have, he's starting talking about this one thing, and then suddenly he goes off on this weird tangent. What does this have to do with creation? Let's get back to the sky, David. That was more fun. But the songwriter, to the songwriter here, this is making perfect sense. Because David stands in awe and wonder, not just beneath the night sky, but he stands in awe and wonder at the beautiful ways that God instructs us. It's the same wonder. Look at this. Look at how he, he keeps going. So he's talking about the law of God, right? More to be desired are his commandments and his precepts. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. And keeping them, there is great reward. In other words, the stuff that God says is awesome. Or as Poe the Panda would say, pure awesomeness. We watch Poe the Panda at 5 o'clock movie time every single day. <laughs> you see that? It's that good. The heavens are amazing and he gushes and then he thinks of the law of God. The law of God is unbelievably great. Now, where's the connection? Well, here's the connection. God laid a path for the sun, remember? Well, he laid a path for us too. See that? He laid a path for the sun across the skies, and he's laid a path for us in life as well. His precepts, his instructions. And most people today aren't very excited about that because they think of the laws of God as things that restrict our freedom. This weekend, as I said, we all celebrated Independence Day, and I am very, very thankful for the political freedoms that we've been given. I hope that you are too. I've been to places uh, like Cuba and China and Romania uh, where people have not always had that, and some are still do not have that, and it's tragic. I'm very, very thankful for it, and I hope that, that you guys can embrace the blessings of that as well. I have a fear for us, though, and it's this, that the political liberties that we have Sometimes those kind of bleed into our sentiments as, as, as people of God, you know? Like, like the, we don't live under a king politically, and that's wonderful. That means nobody tells us what to do. But we do actually live under a king in the kingdom of God. And he does tell us what to do. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's very easy for people who have lived in a, in a, you know, under some monarchy or something, totalitarian ruling, it would get really bad, right? To understand, oh, God's king, okay, that makes sense. It, made, it, it was easy, honestly, in the, in the early church for people to understand that. Because when they were saying Jesus is Lord, what they were saying is Jesus is Caesar. They're like, oh, we totally get that. Oh, if Jesus is Caesar and not Caesar, okay, we're going to follow him and give him our allegiance. But today, as people who get to experience political freedom, we haven't really made that crossover very well. And it's like, well, Jesus, it's almost like Jesus is president. Oh, okay. Well, the president doesn't actually have authority to tell you what to do. Do you know that? I mean, that's, which is a great thing, division of powers and all of this. It's a wonderful thing. But what if that bleeds over into the way that we see God? See, he has actually given us laws. He has actually given us rules that David says are awesome. Embrace them. But sometimes it's hard because it's like, yeah, I don't know. That feels a little restrictive. 
sometimes I think we think freedom equals a lack of any limitation. Any restriction. But that's not actually what freedom is. That's just lawlessness. It's one of the one of the ditches on the path, you see. You could go off into lawlessness or you could go into legalism. Okay? You can go to where it's all about rules and there's no relational stuff here and there's no grace and if you fail, you fail and bam, you're out, bam, right? That's what that's the way many in the church have gone, which is very, very sad. Or lawlessness over here where it doesn't even matter what you do because God's nice. It doesn't matter at all what you do. Neither of those are the gospel. Both of those are false gospels. Now, it doesn't matter. You probably grew up feeling one or the other of those. Um, uh, we all did. It's, maybe it depends on where you grew up. Maybe it depends on who your parents were. Maybe it depends on where you went to church or whatever. But it's easy to slide off into one of those ditches. And that's unfortunate. But that does not make the path wrong. The path is good and beautiful, David says. I love this quote from uh, Justin uh, Whitmell Early from a book I'm reading called The Common Rule, which is excellent. He says, we often think that to ensure the good life, we have to ensure our ability to choose in each moment. But what if the good life doesn't come from having the ability to do what we want, but from having the ability to do what we were made for? What if true freedom comes from choosing the right limitations, not avoiding all limitations? He's speaking in the context of spiritual discipline here. But I, I love especially that, that, that middle part. What if the good life doesn't come from having the ability to do what we want, but from having the ability to do what we were made for? And I want to suggest to you guys, that's all the law of God is. The law of God it, it is designed to help us to live in the way that God designed us to live. I'm going to lift a story from my dad. He listens to the podcast sometimes, so he might demand royalties on this. He used to tell us all the time. He's a pastor, <laughs> a teacher. Um, he, uh, uh, there was a, a farmer. This isn't a real story, as you can already tell. Because <laughs> anytime someone says, there was a farmer. What kind? I don't know. It's not important. I, I don't know. I don't know anything about farming either. So, so here's a farmer. And uh, he is in somewhat of a friendly competition with the farmer across the street. That guy doesn't know it, but he knows it because he wants to keep up with his buddy over there. So the guy gets a new grill and has a party, and he goes and gets a bigger grill and has a bigger party. And the guy goes and paints his house really lovely color, and he goes and paints his house an even lovelier color. The guy puts an above-ground swimming pool. He puts an in-ground swimming pool. And back and forth. He, he's just like happy for him, but he's... And one day, he sees his buddy gets a new tractor because they both have big fields. And he's a little jealous of this new tractor. And he says, I want to get one too. I want to get one like he's got because he's got air conditioning inside of his. <laughs> he's got places where he's got Bluetooth in there. You can listen to, you could even watch Netflix on there and there in the day if you want to. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And it's, it plows your field so fast. It's incredible. And it's, it's so accurate and it's so strong. And man, it's going to cut his work, you know, big time. 
So he's looking at that going, well, all right. I'm going to get something fast for my field too. So he goes, of course, and visits the Porsche dealer. And he finds this Porsche. Is it Porsche or Porsche? I don't even know. Whatever. And he gets this incredibly brand new, sleek Porsche. And he goes and to his, his buddy who has a <laughs> shop. And he gets a trailer hitch installed on the back of his Porsche. And he says, you'll see how fast I can plow this field now. <laughs> so he, he hooks up his plow and he pulls it into the field. The thing doesn't go five feet until it is smoking and there's corn stalks coming up <laughs> the hood of the car. And he is furious. This is not right. This is a brand new car. Tractor. <laughs> so he unhooks and he, he, he pulls out his old tractor and he tows it all the way to the dealership. And he says, look, this piece of junk that you sold me. What is your problem? Do you know how much I just paid for this? Well, yes, you do because I gave you the check and I am not happy about this. And the guy is looking what in the world? Where, where, where have you, did you, is that corn? <laughs> where are you driving this in the field? Oh, drive it wherever I want to. It's my car. Yeah, yeah, but it's not designed to go on the field, you moron. It's a Porsche. A Porsche is designed for speed, man. It needs to be out somewhere, not even, not even in these roads. Take, go, to, go to Montana. Go to Montana or just speed. Drive this thing the way it's meant to be driven. You completely went away from the way this thing was designed. The law of God is kind of like that. Oh, God just wants to limit my freedom. Just wants to limit my freedom. People think that holiness or righteousness is, is, is like this, like it's starchy and it's just, mm, I did not violate any rules and that's what God wants from us. I don't think that. I don't think that's what holiness looks like. I think holiness more looks like this. There's fire and color and dancing and feasting and there's explosions and there's really, really good food. And I think that's what we are designed for. We are designed for family and feasting. That's what he made us for. So when he gives us laws such as, hey, don't, don't commit adultery, okay? Like, you can look at that and go, well, that is so backward and moralistic. How dare he even tell me? Because if I feel a thing, then who do you think you are? And he says, look, what were you designed for? You were designed for family and relationship. You were designed to not walk around with a massive crater in your heart. And you were designed to not give craters in other people's hearts. You were designed to experience the fullness and the beauty of a relationship inside loving and completely awesome limits. 
So by telling you, hey, don't go and take somebody else's wife, I am telling you, this is what you were made for, and you can love, and you can go crazy, and you can have feasts, and you can have Fourth of July parties, and you can have children, and everyone can come over, and, you, and that is the way I designed you. This is what you were made for, guys. You were made to experience the beauty of holiness with him. And it's not a boring holiness. It is full of vividness. It's full of dancing. It's full of music and poetry. It's a beautiful thing he's made you for. And by embracing the beautiful limitations that he's given us, we're simply saying, oh, that's the way you made me. Cool. That's all it is. That's all it is. And I'm making a big deal about this this morning because we have this, this thing that's so very American. We think it's like some like cool, hip, multicultural thing to say like, God doesn't, shouldn't re, you know, restrict us, but it's not. It's a distinctly boring American thing that says we should be able to do whatever we want to do. And it's really offensive for God to tell us we shouldn't do a thing. No, he, he, he made you. He made me. He knows how he made us. And that's why he's so loving to tell us, hey, hey, don't blow yourself up. <laughs> you know the little warning labels and all the fireworks, you know? Like, hey, yeah, don't, don't, don't do this anywhere near gasoline. Well, I never. <laughs> Who do they think they are? Well, they, I just don't, right? People lose fingers because they do dumb things apart from their design and the design of what they're working with. And the design of God on us is beautiful. It's beautiful. And I want us to know that. I want us to feel that the, the culture is pushing us in this other direction in all different ways. In the way we use our power. In the way we use our wealth. In the way that we use our bodies. In all of these ways. It's trying to push us this way and go, no limits. That's what freedom is. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie. That's a lie. That's lawlessness. Embrace the beauty of what God has given us. And that's where we find real joy. As his sons and his daughters living out life and celebration with him. Do you hear me? Yeah. Do you believe me? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to say you believe me. I hope that you do. Stand up. I want to pray a blessing over you guys.